Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you guys from Harlem, and it is comfortable here. Mm, nice one. Uh, this is Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at Hyperallergic and the recent author of The Personalization of the Museum Visit. And I'm speaking to you from the South Bronx. I'm Sarah Bond. I'm Associate Professor of History at the University of Iowa. And uh, I'm coming to you from Iowa City, Iowa. Um, so we wrapped up our conversation, uh, our nominal conversation about, uh, oh, this is to remind our listeners, uh, thank you for the corrections, uh, <laughs> the, the hand signal, uh, that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Apparently, I'm a little rattled. We've been having a lot of back and forth uh, before the podcast. So, <laughs> um, so uh, last uh, week, we wrapped up our nominal conversation on climate change. The conversation uh, went in a few different directions, which I think is a, a fine. So um, we're going to talk about 1619. So the the, the year specifically uh, and what followed it, but also uh, more particularly the New York Times project um, that is, uh, as they say, an effort to kind of recalibrate our national story um, around the institution of slavery and its history. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to kind of do our general impressions, sort of first what we thought of uh, the magazine piece in its conception, in its execution, uh, the topic in general, and then we'll move into some of the themes that uh, the magazine brought out um, or the way it organized itself, um, and we'll move on from there. So uh, I'd like to give Sarah the first word, so since she's our, our newest contributor, so Sarah, please take it away. Sure, I guess I should start by kind of setting the scene a little bit historically uh, before we start, because I think 1619 is a really incredible date. And obviously, this is coming about because we're at the 400th anniversary of what we mm -hmm. uh, think happened in August of, of 1619. Right. And, and this, mm -hmm. I think they normally celebrate it on August 20th, but we don't actually know the, the precise day. Um, but I am a Virginian and, and I had gone to Jamestown many times. Um, the, the 1619 project really focuses on the date that, um, a, uh, a Anglican, uh, kind of quasi trading, quasi pirate ship um, lands uh, at the area that is now Fort Monroe. Um, and um, this ship called the White Lion apparently had 20 um, enslaved individuals. We only know a few of their names, for instance. Um, Isabel, I think, is, is one of them. Um, but we know that mm -hmm. 20 of them landed there and then were traded for food and supplies um, to the, the settlers in the colony there that was overseen um, by, by the Virginia Company. Um, and so uh, I really mm -hmm. enjoyed reading um, about the history of this, having seen the marker that was placed up um, under Obama right there where Fort Monroe is today, where the ship actually, um, we think, landed. Um, I, I do just want to kind of interject that there's been a lot of pushback on the project in part, uh, not only from people who, mm -hmm. who haven't 
liked it, but from historians who have said that it is important to have dates that we remember, like 1619, mm -hmm. but that in reality, um, in 1565, enslaved Africans had been brought to Florida right. um, to be used. Um, that, uh, that Juan, uh, Ponce de Leon had actually brought, um, an enslaved African man named Juan Garrido with him, um, to Florida. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about with the 1619, I think is important. Uh, but I do want to say that this is a very anglicized date. We're focusing on when the mm -hmm. British people began to bring Africans mm -hmm. as enslaved mm -hmm. chattel and not the first Africans ever to be brought to the continent of North America. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I think that it's important to see that so this I, is Anglo-centered a bit. Yeah. So I, I mm -hmm. that makes sense. I, I appreciate the clarification. I think that any definitive date or time, as you alluded to, is going to be problematic but we, uh, you know, it's like your birthday. Like, well, was this the day you were like, well, you actually, it started when your mom met your dad and when they actually, you know, got together mm -hmm. and he impregnated her. Like this sort of, like, I, I, I don't think like if you were an, if you're a historian invested in the investigation of those issues, then yeah, that's like your role. Like, let's complicate this. Let's look at like that. This is a much more uh, varied picture, but trying to tell a mm -hmm. national story, like, that's a good date, 1619, like, that. that's good. Like, that's a good place to start. Let's start the conversation from there. Let's give it a zero point out of which we can, you know, begin to discuss it. I totally agree. I just want to, I just want to point out that that means that we then kind of, um, erase uh, a lot of the history of Africans prior to 1619. And also we erase other types of mm -hmm. slavery from indigenous peoples that preexisted. So I totally agree that we need powerful dates and that this is an important narrative but also mm -hmm. um we, we we then can't use that to erase other forms of slavery and servitude um that had existed in the americas prior to 1619 point taken yeah no i think taken. both of you are making a really really good point but i think it it, it speaks to the fact that we we haven't had this conversation before nationally. It's only happened within communities or within fields about a particular date. I agree with you. Starting at one date is good, but not, but, but I agree with Sarah because when, when I first read the, the cover, the very last line is on mm. the 40, 400th anniversary of this faithful moment, it is finally time to tell our story truthfully. And I'm just like, you could have left that out. You really could have left that mm. out because you're telling it because the invisibility issue when it comes to telling American history is just like a, it's, it's a part of the romance of telling American history in general. So who tells the story? I agree that there were um, the presence of Africans in this country was well before 1619. These are when the laws were established, essentially. This mm -hmm. is, you know, when these things were happening in the 17th century. So mm -hmm. it was it's frustrating, but I took it as, well, at least. People are starting, they're using this platform to tell these kinds of stories to a wide range of people from the paper record, right? So I'm mm -hmm. okay with that part of it. But I think that they could have paid a little bit more attention to we chose this day to blah, 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 and to emphasize yeah. that there are other kinds of ways of telling this story as well. But we chose to tell it this way. Yeah, I think that's a great, I think those are both great points. And I, yeah, I completely agree. So my initial take on the 1619 
project. Uh, and I and and I'm already sort of setting aside the podcast, which I haven't listened to yet, and the um, the Overleaf and the New York Times. Um, I'm just dealing with the magazine, and I have mm-hmm. to say that one of the two of the two things initially jumped out at me when I looked at the magazine. One is that phrase, Stephen. It's finally time to tell our story truthfully. Really <laughs> resonated with really resonated with me actually because. And I, and I, and I double underlined our on my notes because mm-hmm. I'm wondering who we is, right? Mm-hmm. Because the hour refers to, <laughs> um, to a particular, to a particular group of people. So who's okay. the we in that? And, and that's a question that probably will get, um, elaborated, uh, in further conversations mm-hmm. here. The other thing that really stood out to me was that, it's a quote from um, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones' uh, in, uh, essay, which opens the the magazine. She says, "This is uh, this is sometimes referred to as the country's original sin." She's talking about slavery, mm-hmm. but it is more than that. Of course, it is the mm-hmm. country's very origin. I mm. had moments when I read her essay, and I think I read the one after that, maybe, and maybe it was, maybe it was. Um, the piece by Clint, um, Clint, well, I'm not sure, but I want to say this. I had a moment when I was reading her essay when it felt like a veil kind of lifted and I kind of saw and felt for just a moment what the, and reality isn't quite the right word, but I saw something that felt like for a moment I saw beyond, beyond or behind, below, the ideology of American exceptionalism mm. that I grew up with. And I saw something else. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and I remember thinking in that moment, that's amazing that I, for, I, for a second, mm-hmm. for a brief second, I could see, okay, this is what life was like, or this is the sort of antecedents that, 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 that shape the, the current social political reality that we have. And I saw for a moment this, I, this, this notion that you could actually own another human being as being fundamental mm. to that. You could own another human being. So, so Seth, the, the, um, uh, it is absolutely that. Like the, the pamphlets or the, the pamphleteers that, that were, mm-hmm. were absolutely instrumental in shaping the American imagination or, or sort of crafting the idea of what it meant to be an American explicitly mm-hmm. used sl- African slavery as the foil to liberty, meaning that white, quote unquote mm-hmm. white, right? The invention of white people, that, that white people were the ones that were willing to sacrifice for freedom. And that is why they deserved it. And that Africans were not willing to sacrifice for their freedom. And that's why they were chattel. I mean, they were explicitly making these arguments. So mm. that th- th- it, it really is the germ out of which the American idea of liberty grew. Like mm. slavery is inseparable mm. from the creation of that myth. Um, and it's, uh, it's a, for me personally, it is a very, it, uh, I, I, it fucks me up. Like, I, I'm not sure what to do with that because, okay. uh, mm. because I believe in Jeffersonian rhetoric as much as I despise Jefferson uh-huh. as a person. Uh, I believe in Jeffersonian rhetoric and, and I don't, and I literally like, 
I'm looking forward to this conversation. A big part of the American age as an effort is meant to come to terms with that. Uh, because I don't know what to do. I don't know where to put that. I'm not sure what to do with it. And who and who the we is that co- what wants to come to terms with that. And I, I, I just want to mm-hmm. say this too, just so the, our listeners have a sense of what we're going to deal with. So the, if the fundamental, the germ uh, the, out of which grew... Um, out of which grew um, the American ideal, the American state, is that what 1619 is doing is it's actually trying to elaborate and to explain how and in what ways different sectors of our culture and our society come out, uh, grow from that root, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about food. It's about music. It's about educational policy. Mm-hmm. In fact, Sarah had mentioned before that she'd figured out what the sort of eight Topoi. themes. Yeah, the, <laughs> that's, the, that's what she said. The, the, the themes <laughs> that, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that are generated by and around this project or by the writing in this project. So maybe Sarah, you could just like tell us what those themes are. Well, I think she was before, before you were also going to say something. You were going to jump jump in before I saw your hand. Well, I like, just you wanted were so to piggyback to... a little bit on your idea of Jeffersonian rhetoric, um, because I mm. think a big theme mm-hmm. that is underlying under the entirety of this is the hypocrisy of white people. Um, because in the initial yeah. essay, we get um, the scene set in 1776 in Philly where Thomas mm. Jefferson is sitting there writing the Declaration of Independence, and who does he have behind him is Robert Hemings, who Robert Hemings yes. is, of course, the half-brother of his wife because um, Martha Jefferson's father had been uh, raping and sleeping with um, one of the slaves on his plantation that would eventually go to Monticello, um, and then Thomas Jefferson um, would... Uh, would have a relationship, um, a coercive relationship with Sally, Sally Hemings, who was yeah. um, a, another right. part of mm-hmm. the Hemings family. And so I think a big theme is that Thomas Jefferson is writing words about liberty and equality. And this goes back to Seth's point about who is the we. When Jefferson is yeah. saying we, he means white dudes that are not enslaved. He is not talking about yeah. um, the the. Americans, he's not talking no. about Robert Hemings behind him. So the definition of we is Which very is important that, here. <laughs> yeah, and it, the thing is, though, that I mean, this is not, and this is where I would start to to try and uh, recover and 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 defend aspects of the American idea, if not the American, uh, American institutions and practice. This is, <laughs> this is pro forma for human history. Rights are always rights of the elites, right? They're always the rights of mm-hmm. a select, limited, fully circumscribed, typically male body politic. And so what, that's the norm. So, to break that norm is to literally break the history of civilization. That, that, I mean, the, the, the invention of writing is to count people and property. Like the, and, and all of civilization is undergird, undergirded mm-hmm. by writing. You don't have writing, you don't have complicated societies. So it's absolutely, it's, it's the moment of inception of large scale communities of strangers that you use chattel 
to build, these were the sources of capital for these for these early civilizations. America continued that, perfected it, and fully dehumanized it. Right. So I don't want to let us off the hook. Right. I don't at all at all. But 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 that there is still some potential and possibility in what you're identifying as hypocrisy, which it clearly is, right? It clearly is that. And, but, but I would, I would want to defend, and you know, and if you pick me on a different day, maybe I would have a hard time doing it, but I would want to defend a culture that could produce a magazine like 1619. I mean, pick any other civilization in history and produce a document that its elites enable the undermining of its own mythology. Like, and, and, and so that's, I want to defend that. Like that, mm. if, if I can, if I can find a purchase to be hopeful about the American experiment, it's there. It's that we are talking about this thing and we are trying to come to terms with it, even though we may ultimately fail. It may be too poisoned. We may not be able to do anything about it. Um, I'm sorry, Clint. Stephen, it looks like you're about to say something. I just have to come in with the David Chappelle, Dave Chappelle um, <laughs> joke from <laughs> Sticks and Stones. And that what he says is, <laughs> he simulates a scene with George Washington uh, writing the American Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Uh-huh. All men are created equal aside. Go get me a sandwich, nigga. Or I'll kill you. Return liberty <laughs> and justice for all. And so that I just wanted to put that in there for the we part of it. <laughs> Do you know? God damn. And I think, you know, and that was from, you know, his recent stand-up, which people are having issues with, but I do not have one. Um, and that is, but I think it's, I think that we really need to, I, I, I'm very much interested in how these conversations really get to different kinds of people. You know, so... Who's reading this? I was curious about who was reading this. Who's the audience? Um, mm. I know. I think that I'm the audience because I have an interest in these things, mm. and I like having access mm-hmm. to them because I want to talk with other people about them, about these issues around economic mm. um, development of the U.S., um, how whiteness was really kind of created in the crucible of a black body. Do you know um, this idea of how that came? Because whiteness was yes, something. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm interested in that, and I want to talk with people who may not normally talk about these things in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, people might have ideas, Mm -hmm. so I was happy that this exists, but not as the definitive anything. And I don't know how much it actually goes against undergirding the the U.S. project, per se. Mm -hmm. I think that I don't... I'm still thinking about what that means, because sometimes cultures produce things that seem to be radical, but they're really not. So I kind of want to mm-hmm. toss mm-hmm. it off to you, Seth, and kind of ask you, because you're like me. I think I, I have like maybe two or three articles yet to read, um, and I've been reading them on the train. And it's been interesting because I've talked with some people, and they're like, you reading this? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm reading this, but I'm not finished yet. You know, we didn't all do Sarah, who read the whole thing, four podcasts, I mean, four episodes of podcasts. I was like, damn, Sarah, shit. And listen to the podcast. Yeah. And listen to the podcast. Business, girl. Sure. I was like, Sarah, give us a moment. She's gangster, though. She's gangster. So, um, but no, I really love that. I, I have like, a lot of white okay, guilt. Yeah, I have a lot Great. of white guilt, so I, I felt like I had to read all of it. A lot it. of white guilt. Yeah. You know, that's what I knew. And then you had to have really smart. Good, good. All right. (laughs) But thanks a lot for that. Um, But yeah, so Seth, what did you think um, as you were um, going through the articles? Your just in general impression of it, other than the thing that you just mentioned. Well, just that there's a good deal of 
historical insight. And I like the way they, the essays that I've read, um, particularly the one that started the issue, the one by Nicole Hannah-Jones and a few mm. others, mm. really carefully unpick the sort of underpinnings of, say, plantation culture, of um, Wall Street, of um, particular economic systems, of um, habits and means and and um, even what municipal, how municipal bonds uh, ended up um, uh, coming out of uh, or being connected with a particular um, mode of uh, control of the human bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like that the insight, these historical, historic, historically minded essays also butt up against these other more poetic and lyrical gestures, like the, um, the poem by Eve L. Ewing and the redacted, mm-hmm. uh, version of George Washington's, uh, uh, signed Fug- First Fugitive Slave Act. There's, um, mm-hmm. by Reginald Dwayne Betts. I just the, the, it, what what the what the thing does. I think what the what the magazine does is it takes me through a kind of deep um, analysis of um, uh, a period or a set of um, a set of um, practices, and then it tosses mm-hmm. me into this kind of lyrical place where I'm just thinking about how the net effect of this affects a person's psyche. Like, what, what does this look, essentially the magazine says, here's what's happened, and then here's what happened in this person's psyche because of all of this. And I think that's a really useful and mm. intelligent way to lay out the story, and I, and I mm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, what, was there anything, uh, did you, anything you guys felt like they should have done a better job on? I mean, Sarah had the great point about, I mean, and I think, you know, I've sat with it a little bit, I mean, and you're right, I mean, that is what follows a, a definitive date like that, even if we're going to grant it, that it, there is an erasure, right? I mean, so it, what happens is you're erasing kind of the the things outside of that boundary. Uh, anything else that you feel like they could have done better with the project? I mean, maybe this is a better question for at the end after we've talked about it a bit more. But um, but anyway, mm. Steph, you look like you're you're about to say something. Well, yeah, there are two places actually so far. Again, I've only read through about half halfway through. I've only read mm. halfway through the magazine. But two places mm. where I've written no emphatically in the text. <laughs> uh, maybe we could just. <laughs> what were these maybe places? we could just. Yeah, well, let me let's just do one because I don't want to take up too much of the oxygen in the room. Um, the piece written by Barry Jenkins on page forty-six, where he talks about Gabriel Prosser, the the twenty-four-year-old literate blacksmith who organizes one of the most extensively planned slave rebellions. He gets caught out because he told the wrong Negroes, and they told on him, and they hang him. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this piece by Jenkins. I'll just read the last sentence. Yes, this last sentence. For Gabriel Prosser, the blacksmith, leader of men and accepting no master's name, had stepped into the troubled water. Sorry, last two sentences. Last sentences, to the very last, he was whole. He was free. That I know he was not free. Mm-hmm. And that is precisely what the problem is, right? And what, what this author is doing, and a lot of, a lot of writers do this, a lot of writers do this, is, is they cordon off, they, 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 they etch out this space in the psyche and they say, well, he was free there. 
Like he was free in his ideas. He's there. Mm. There are innumerable Hollywood movies who do this, right? In fact, I just saw Pan's Labyrinth the other day, and they did basically the same thing. They said they 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 crafted the story around which this girl was this princess from this mystical world, and la la la, and then she ends up you know dying, getting stabbed to death or shot to death by some fascist mm-hmm. um, general. But in her mind, right, she goes back to like her underground lair of of kingdom and she becomes this princess again and la la la. I don't like that move because what it does is I think it, 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 it gives us an out that we don't deserve. Like that's, he was not fucking free. uh, That's why he died. Yes. So I'm, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's an absolutely fair reading and a fair point, but. But that rhetorical move is precisely the thing out of which we craft aspirational and inspirational stories. Jesus died on the cross, but he was really set free. No, he in reality, he suffocated to death because your lungs can't continue to breathe when you're being hung by your hands. Like, that's actually what happened. But, but billions of people have been moved by the story of his ultimate metaphysical freedom. And so I, I, whether it worked in that, in that article or not, I certainly have some sympathy for that gesture to inspire. Right. Right. I I think that it's important to, to say that this circles back to what we talked about, about ambiguities of Liberty with Thomas Jefferson, you have to Mm. define what you mean by freedom um, and who it applies Mm. to. And so then it has meaning. Um, and so if we don't allow, I mean, when we make freedom kind of all encompassing, um, and don't, mm. uh, define it as corporal freedom or as ethical freedom or mm. as freedom in terms of civil rights, then it becomes, um, a catch all term. So it can be inspirational, but I think to Seth's point that there could have been more precision in the language because you don't always have to end on a high note. Um, I, I think that mm, oftentimes yeah, writers fair. do want to end on an uplifting note. Um, and there's a, a lot of American pressure <laughs> to, to tie things up. Um, and that's yeah. not always possible, um, when, mm. when we're writing, but that is our natural proclivity. I think to want to have hope, um, as the last thing in Pandora's box, because that's, well, that's the last thing that was in Pandora's box. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't have it. I just have a uh, uh, yes, <laughs> thumbs up. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, it's true that uh, it becomes uh, incredibly limiting um, to have the term unlimited, right? It becomes essentially useless if you don't have any kind of uh, if you don't have any boundary around it. There's no point to it. There's no there's no utility, right? It can't be a useful tool if you're, if you're leaving it undescribed in that way. So I think, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, so we're coming, I think we're having some audio issues. Uh, so, uh, but we're also coming up on time. So is there anything that one of you wanted to add, uh, about sort of the project as we head into the, the themes, um, in next week? Okay, so this is this is the thing I wanted to do, um, which I alluded to earlier, but I, I would like just to give our listeners a sense of what we think we're going to be dealing with in the next few podcasts is the themes that Sarah came up with that generally organize the effort of the 1619 Project. Yeah, yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Right. I think some of the organizing principles are, are really important. And um, the first two, I think you can see together, which is economic might born from slavery, um, which was mm. also after the introductory podcast, the, the next episode of the, of the 1619 podcast is just on um, the economics of slavery, but also just the economic residuals of slavery. And that's a, a big theme along with industrial power. Um, we also have themes like the electoral system, um, and we'll be definitely addressing um, food and popular music together. Um, I think there's a, a lot of uh, themes like inequities in public health and education that are important, as well as income inequality. And uh, underlying almost all of this is the theme of violence, this idea mm. that underneath um, that chattel slaves can be treated in a way that is subhuman. Um, that violence right. is is just under the surface of almost all of the themes that we're going to look at. Right, right. Yeah. It yeah. was just under the surface of the themes, but it was on full display in the system. I mean, the yeah. entire system worked on violence. Um, so, so about that, guys. Maybe we can just end on this because I'm I'm curious about this, and it's not exactly seated in the 1619 project, but it, I think it comes out of the kinds of thinking that have gone into this project, which is lately people have said things like, uh, this particular law, no, that's not a good example. This particular mm. move by this political figure is a kind of violence. The, you know, you, you've heard phrases like that, right? That, uh, when they, uh, told my child that they couldn't come to school dressed in whatever, that that is a kind of violence. And I'm, I'm starting to feel like the ways that we talk about violence now have become so abstracted I totally agree. that, that they're starting to lose purchase. It's a decadence. It's a kind of decadence. It's right. not, I mean, this, yeah. it, 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 the, these are positions that are not being subjected to actual violence. Because right. if you had been subjected to actual violence, you would not be making that analogy around that right. issue. Now, I'm not right. saying... I, uh, no, no, I'm I don't not, know about but, that. But, but, see, I'm not saying that <laughs> rhetoric... Mm itself mm -hmm. cannot be a weapon of a weapon if you're right. sitting you know okay. if you're sitting in a courtroom and someone says you're guilty that's rhetoric but that is a there are men with guns and batons that are going to, to make sure that. you understand right. that that rhetoric is real i feel like a lot of times that rhetoric is decoupled from the actual threat of violence as mm -hmm. it gets used in popular culture i'm, I'm mm -hmm. completely with seth mm -hmm. uh, i i'm with Seth on the suggestion, he wasn't making a definitive, he wasn't staking right. out a, a definitive mm -hmm. position. I don't want right. to ascribe that right. to him. But, yeah, I see this um, in the terminology surrounding <laughs> rape as well. When we say the word rape, oftentimes we just kind of throw it around. Uh, like people will say, oh, I felt raped by this or I felt raped yeah. by that. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that mm -hmm. kind yeah. of lessens what rape means. Like when Agreed. we eventually yes. talk mm -hmm. about, um, you know, sexual violence uh, against enslaved persons, I think it decreases the the resonance and the power of the word rape to then be Absolutely like, so. I was raped by this mm -hmm. person. What you mean is economically or just that this person came on to you very strongly. So, yeah, again, I, I think it comes down to yeah. the potency of language and how we need to, to protect yes. language as, as something that has power. Um, Absolutely. To, to communicate. Yeah. 
And I do think that that's one of the, the sort of um, byproducts of the 1619 project is it actually does that. It reinvigorates language with a certain mm-hmm. kind of potency. Mm-hmm. And that's why, mm-hmm. that's why I think I've been really, um, you know, it's been, a, it's, it's in places it's harrowing, it's difficult, but I've been re- also really excited to read this, um, read the magazine. And I want to get to the podcast because it does that for me. Like it reinvigorates mm-hmm. my sense of wow. Of, of, of how language gets recruited to make us, to help us understand something. Can we, uh, we probably, uh, we're, we're over time, but Stephen, can we give you the last word? Can you, you want to jump in with the. <laughs> I felt like this happened the last episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause you're so not, you're so like, we start bickering and then you're just, you're so polite and nice that you let us kind of do our thing and spin. And then. <laughs> so. uh, well, well, part, I say maybe five, six minutes, there was a, a, um, a police car outside of my apartment building and it was mm. just going off. And they, mm-hmm. for some reason, I had, I turned off my mic just so mm-hmm. they wouldn't bother anyone, unfortunately. But, um, mm. so last words, last words. I'm very excited about getting to the next few episodes to talk about these themes because I think they're really powerful. And mm. I definitely agree with the language thing, the preservation of language. I'm often, So when I was thinking about the word violence and how we really think that violence is entertainment, I mean, you know, we use, Mm -hmm. not violence is entertainment, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. entertainment that uses violence as a Mm -hmm. way to kind of, I don't know what it really does, but I can see Mm -hmm. the lessening and I can see the um, sort of watered down quality of what words mean. And words are always changing Mm -hmm. and we're always inventing new words. And so Mm -hmm. the preservation of language to me seems to be... um, uh, a project that's kind of not really um, <laughs> helpful. It's helpful, but it's 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 a loser's game because of the mm-hmm. ways in which language looks at and is invented on the spot. And we need mm-hmm. to maybe just continue to build on the project, you know, on mm-hmm. the um, the creation of mm-hmm. rather than the preservation of. Even if it has more potency, I mean, I still have questions about that. So I'm not really mm-hmm. completely. Um, aware of all of what I'm thinking right now, but I'm excited about this idea of the inv- reinvigoration of language to get people to understand things they may not understand or want yeah. to understand. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm with that. It's a great close, so I appreciate mm. that. Um, Indeed. Sarah, Stephen, Seth, great conversation as always. Um, and Thank I'll uh, speak to you guys next week. Okay. Bye. Thank Take you. Care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.